The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, it's Patrick Starr. I'm coming straight to you with my very own podcast. Say yes to the guest. I'll be hanging out with some of my fiercest friends and spilling some serious tea on business, beauty, and being a boss-ass bitch. With me, baby, you'll never know what will happen. Find Yes to the Guest on Apple Podcasts or anywhere where podcasts are played. Start streaming and downloading now. And don't forget to subscribe because every Monday we're going in. We got so much to chat about. So turn it up and say yes to the guest. Yes. 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 Ugh, I'm not in the mood. Do we have to do this? Yes. Wait, are we recording? Okay, let's go. You're listening to The Alley Colbert Show. Welcome back to the Allie Colbert Show. I'm your host, Allie Colbert. Hi, guys. I have been watching Love is Blind. I've been watching Love is Blind, and it has not disappointed. I still think Love is Blind can go farther, can go further than where it's gone. If you have not watched Love is Blind, uh, I'm sure you know what it is. If you don't, it is when singles speak to each other through a wall. They cannot see each other. And after five days of talking to several people through a closet door, they decide I'm going to marry the person in closet number three or I kind of want to be ex- exclusive with the person in closet number two. And only when you say, yes, I am committed to spending my life with the person in closet number four, whatever the fuck you two propose to each other through a fucking wall, then, only then, are you allowed to see what they look like in real life. And there's about what I imagine to be about three hours of chatting with these people before you decide, yeah, I think I'm going to settle down with the guy in closet number two. I think the guy in closet number two will be a good father. And it is in my best interest to kind of commit to marrying him on national television. After that, what they do, by the way, this show is hosted by Nick Lachey and his wife. So this show is hosted by a former member of the band 98 Degrees and his wife, who I think is famous for like advertising maybe Jenny Craig bars on like people.com. They're running this show and they kind of assume this like philosophical outlook where they're like, you know, we're really here they like Nick Lachey comes out in a white lab coat. He's like, we're really here to figure out if love, love really is blind. These people are like the human version of golden retrievers for the most part. They have like a five second attention span and they're always changing their mind. Anyway, only once they agree to marrying someone are they then uh, kind of brought to a hallway where they're silhouetted behind like a fogged door. 
And then the door opens up and you see them look at each other for the first time. And that is just the best moment because you watch these people as they are, as they either are like over the moon that they were talking to someone hot, by the way, no one on the show is hot or they're horrified that they have just agreed to marry a reptile and watching them navigate that is so enjoyable. It's so fun. And they, and then they can't just say, listen, I, I know I said I would marry, you know, Mark from door number three, but I saw him in person and he's a troll. They can't say that. So what they end up doing is they like, they, they start blaming a lot of other things. They're like, oh, you know, my, my nervous system is pretty overloaded right now by, you know, being on a film set and our emotional connection is really strong. I just kind of need to feel out how things are in person. Oh, I have all this childhood trauma. And they, they can't just say, listen, I like you're not my cup of tea. Like I thought you would look pretty hot. And then when I met you in person, you know, my vagina sewed itself shut. Obviously, I don't blame them for having that dilemma, but it's really funny. I mean, I uh, and another thing that they're doing, which I, I like about this show is they don't make you wait until the end to see all of the engagements. They kind of keep one engagement per episode. And the best part of the show, though, which I don't even remember if they did this last season, but the best part is when they, (laughs) after all of the couples have become engaged, they set up some sort of mixer at like a Hilton in Cabo. I mean, they're probably not even in, I don't know where they are. They set up some sort of mixer at like a Motel 6 in Puerto Vallarta. And they say, "Everyone everyone come to the pool with, your fiance and we're going to show you everyone you turn down and and you watch as they're like oh fuck i didn't really pay girl number six attention and girl number six is pretty hot and then they all get kind of drunk and start like trying to like curry favor with the people that they dumped which is really funny like they like they'll be like are you like are you happy with a guy with guy from box two because like you could have been with me I have a lot of thoughts on these couples. And by the way, again, if you're like, don't spoil it, like we're not spoiling. I'm not spoiling like The Great Gatsby. And P.S. If you don't know how The Great Gatsby ends, I don't know what to tell you. Like we're not in seventh grade anymore. So I'm going to be talking about the episode. If you're like, oh, I don't want to know. Fine. okay. However, oh, this is the thought I wanted to say earlier, though. The show needs to cast people that are hideous. Because I see what they're doing now. They're kind of doing this like middle ground. If people are like, like average plus, you know, no one's in, no one's in, oh my God, like a knockout. That's not happening. But I think they need, we need to throw in some serious grenades because that's what'll make it, what'll make it interesting, right? I want to see someone in there that is just busted and they're just smooth talking their way through those pods and then they reveal themselves and people are like, oh my God, I'm living in a horror film. That's what I want. That is how you really take advantage of Love is Blind. I've seen Love is Deaf, by the way, and that's actually a sitcom that takes place in my grandparents' kitchen in Boca. What'd you say? I'll tell you who I can't stand on Love is Blind. I can't stand 
Shane. I cannot stand him. I cannot stand the way he talks with his teeth hanging over his bottom lip. And I understand he's like, people are like, oh, he's cute. His personality to me is so highly irritating. He's just like a sweaty quarterback at like a D4 school. I don't even know if there's D4. And and the way he just like played with these girls in the room, I kind of like that part though, I kind of get. Like I think I would be like, like the girls would come in the room, he's just like, what are you wearing? What are you wearing right now? Like I think that's a little fun. Like you're getting bored. Like you're talking to tons of people and you want to you like, you know, have like sexy talk with a few of them. That sounds kind of fun. But the way he was just like, okay, will you be my girlfriend? And then would like go in the room, the next room. And he's like, what are you wearing? It's like, dude, you're so out of, out of focus here. You're out of whack. What's going on? What's the point in asking that girl to be your girlfriend? Just like, just don't take any of it seriously. You don't have to just like drag her through the, through the mud. I was really hoping he would see Shayna though, because I'm pretty sure he would have jumped ship from Natalie and gone to Shayna. Shayna looks like his type. She kind of looks like a female version of him. Shayna, though, is really this season's Jessica. Do we remember Jessica? Jessica matched with Mark on season one and came up with a million reasons why she didn't like him. Mainly, though, we all knew it was because he was too short for her. That, that was clear to, the, to everyone except for Mark. And, and she didn't want to come out and say that. And she, and she kept blaming it on the fact that she was like nine years older than him. Remember, she was like, when I'm 50, you're going to be 41. When you're 50, I'm going to be dead. Like, it's, how are we going to do this? And this round, we had Shayna, who was getting hot and heavy with one of these guys. I'm forgetting what his name was. And then in their last round, after their like, in their last round, this is like three hours in, he's about to propose. And she's like, oh, I don't believe in evolution. And he's like, what? And she's like, yeah, I like, I don't believe in Darwin. I don't believe in the Big Bang Theory. I kind of just think like Adam and Eve, I'll pray for you. Um, I don't believe in science, whatever. And it was like jaw drop horrifying, which is really why like these things. Well, it was just I felt bad for him. I was like, fuck, that's such a gut punch. Like these are the type types of things where like, yeah, you don't want to bring it up in there. But like you kind of have to. When one of the girls was like, how are we going to raise our kids? He's like, oh, we got to talk about that now. It's like, well, when should we talk about that? When should we talk about that? When I'm walking down the aisle, when I'm pregnant, is that when we should talk about it? Let's maybe talk about it when we're living in these fucking pods, choosing who to marry. Anyway, the whole thing's ridiculous and I can't stop watching it. It's an amazing car crash. You guys, we have a really great episode for you today. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. It's really great. We have on queer sex therapist Casey Tanner and Casey and I discussed the return of bucking. Remember bucking? Do I want to be them or fuck them? AKA gender jelly when you're feeling gender jelly. We discuss my coming out story. Oh, yeah. So at least I did something fun over a breakfast buffet in Belize. We discuss coming out more than once, how you come out more than once and this, mytho- this mythology around, oh, you come out once and you're good. It's like, no, you got to keep telling people why lesbians are so over the top. What is lesbian bed death? Dun, dun, dun. What is the difference between asexual and low libido? The mystery of the female orgasm, queer family planning, grieving the fantasy of a biological child, baby talk. Is it dangerous tonight at six uh, and more? It's a great episode. It's eye opening. It's really interesting. Um, a lot of the questions just like I was so excited to sit down with a queer sex therapist and 
dig into it. And Queer Sex Therapy is also the name of Casey's Instagram account. If you don't follow it, check it out. You guys, you know the drill. Do me a favor and subscribe. Comment. Tell a friend. Oh my God, I listened to this. You, you have to listen to this. Screenshot a moment. Put it on your Instagram. Tag me. Thank you for, for all the love you've been giving me. I really appreciate it. And enjoy the episode. One of the things I saw you recently post about was gender jelly. And on my podcast, one of our first episodes was called bucking. That's what we call it on the show. If you want to, you can't tell if you want to be someone or fuck them. And I've like, I felt that way my whole life about so many people. And, and I still feel that now where I'm like, I, I, I could be both. I could want to fuck you and be you. Are you, yeah. are you creating these terms or are these real terms? Or are you just like a genius marketer <laughs> with gender jelly and everything else? Is coming I just, up? no, I really just thought of that because I thought jealous isn't quite the right word, but jelly, that's it. Yeah. It's like yeah. softer. It's less aggressive. I yeah. Think. Who is someone that right. you have felt uh, gender jelly about? Oh my gosh. Like Kristen Stewart. Yeah. Maybe yeah. up there. Ruby Rose. Yeah. Okay. Um, similar or a similar vibe. Zendaya in Euphoria. Um, but for you, is it, is it being them? I, I really, I really don't know. It's it, it, the best way I can describe it is like, I absolutely would date you. Mm-hmm. I absolutely would fuck you. I also want to wear your clothes and like, give off the same vibe as you. Totally. That's how I would describe it. Yeah. It's yeah. so much more eloquent. I'm thinking back to, I think I said something like lick your taint and wear your skin, but that's <laughs> just like amazing. Potato, potato. But I think that's like that. It's fun to think about now where I am now in my journey. But that was one element that was particularly like troubling for me as a child of like, I really don't know how to kind of parse this up. And and what to make of this because it's I, so confusing. Yeah, it's confusing, right? Yeah. And I was doing a lot of research on you and um, you similarly. And I don't. We'll have to get into it more. But you you came out on video, which I saw <laughs> when you were five. Did, Did you, you also come out on video? I didn't come out on video, but I came out at seven. But then, but then was put back in the closet. Yeah, shoved right back. Shoved in. Shoved right back in, and it's actually been coming up a lot for me in some of the work I've been doing now on myself, mm-hmm. do the work. But I came out when I was seven. I went into my mom's room and I told her, you know, I think I'm gay. And her response was, oh my God, don't worry. It's okay. Like, don't, it's, you're not gay. Don't worry. And at the time- Oh, you're not gay. Yeah, yeah. And it, I thought originally it was, don't worry. It's going to be okay that you're gay. But it was like, no, no, no. no you're not even gay. Right. She, wow. she saw me panicking. And and my mother is like super accepting and lovely and like we have an amazing relationship. And when I came out years later with the language I, I had, it was to- it was fine. She received it well. But for some reason, I was in a panic and her instinct was to calm me down instead of saying, you're mm-hmm. look, even if you if you are gay, I'll love you no matter what. So what happened was then I became angry for the next 20 years of my life. Yeah. But I don't <laughs> but I don't blame her in the same way that I saw Ugh. I saw in your video. You, your father yeah. says, and people are commenting your video like, this is so great. But I heard your dad at the end say, but I hope that's not the case or something. 
Yeah, I, I am confused by people's comments too. The only thing I can make of it is that they had a much, much worse reaction. So they're thinking, if only you know this had been the reaction. But yeah, it's not the gold standard. I think my parents laughed and my dad said, I hope you're kidding, but I'll love you no matter what. Right. Which is just sort of like a, that's sort of progressive for like a 1996 dad, I guess. But yeah. is that good? You know. And all the comments are like, congratulations. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. I'm like, I don't think you understand the trauma of this. But really, actually, the, the part that's most distressing is to this day, I'm like, y'all, do you remember that? Like, I tried to tell you this earlier. They're like, you didn't. I'm like, watch the video. They're like, eh. How did you, you find the video? Clear. I was going through uh I was going through like all of my home videos for my dad's 50th birthday as a gift and I found this and it was like fucking proof. People. Wow. But they are still, yeah, they're still trying to argue that I wasn't clear, but I don't know how much more clear you can be than I'm going to marry a video woman footage. Right. <laughs> but so were you out after that or did you circle back to that? Oh. No. Right, you were No, I was I never spoke it aloud again until I was 22 years old. That was the last time I said it. Until you were 22. Until I was 22. Yeah, that's yeah. basically my timeline. years later. Yeah, that's my timeline. Okay, so we were, how old are you now? Is that okay to ask? Yeah, I'm 28. Okay, so I'm 30. So, but we were pretty much, you know, going through it together from afar. Yeah, it was stumbling out and then like a gentle shove back in and then like mm. 20 years of like, until I tried to, until I came out again. What caused you to come out again? Like what got you out of the closet the second time? What got me out of the closet a second time was a place in my life of just living a miserable life <laughs> or yeah. or coming yeah. out. Like yeah. I was, mm. I, and, and I did something where I knew I was gay. I, I always knew I was gay. And then like I started questioning it a little more in high school. I was like, is this really like what's going on? And then I started dating a girl in college and it was easier for whatever reason for me to come out with a girlfriend Totally, than, Same. than just I'm gay because I, I, I couldn't imagine mm -hmm. being like, I'm a lesbian mom, but I've never like done anything and I don't have proof to back this up other than a well, feeling. You can imagine it because you did do that right. and she didn't believe you. So now you're like. So then I had to come back I've with got, proof. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Why do we feel like we need proof? I think that's also such a queer thing, like that we feel we need to prove it to our to ourselves first, and then yeah, to other people. Well, I slept with so many men to prove to myself that it was wrong. Like I, I kept wondering mm. if I found like the right man, if it would prove to be like like for a while. I was like, okay, maybe I'm just into this type of guy. Okay, fingers mm. crossed. I'm just waiting for a British guy. Fingers crossed. I only <laughs> like these guys. Like, like anything. Uh, slowly, you're only dating like very feminine men. You're like, <laughs> this is my type. Yeah, and I, I totally, totally. Like, I just like. <laughs> I remember I would. I dated these guys, and my mom would always comment. Or I don't know if it was my mom or my sister. They would be like, he has such feminine eyebrows, and I would like. <laughs> have an explosive, explosive reaction around that because I felt like I was getting like caught. Oh and oh yeah, I would get so angry. I was like, God, he, isn't he no. manly enough for you? He has a fucking cock. Like, leave me alone. I was like exhausted. Yeah, I, I had a similar comment made. Like I had come out and then I sort of dabbled 
back in men for a minute. And I did date like a really feminine guy. And my mom was like, honey, I really think this is the best of both worlds for you. I don't think that's how it works, mom, but okay. Uh, what is that? What does that even mean? The best of us worlds yeah. for her, probably. For her, right. This is ideal. You can think that you're dating a woman while in fact, you know, the rest of the world will continue to see you as straight. Yeah. I oh, I, wow. I often find that the parents that like I've I've dated a lot of women who their parents consider themselves to be really like liberal and accepting and the fear response they have when their child comes out is they're afraid that the world will hurt their child. And what ends up happening is they end up they sourcing. Their child. Yeah, they're sourcing yeah. all of the hatred and judgment. Yeah. And I'm like, you're doing this all on your own. Like they right. just judge you and make right. it impossible for you to come out and hanging their hat on this idea that the world is going to like chew you out. I'm like, it's just that you. That it's protection. It's just yeah. you. Well, it's interesting you say that because I I have a godmother who is queer Lucky. and I didn't get to know her for, I didn't get to know her till after I came out because mm. she came out as queer and my mom was like, stopped being friends with her. So when I came out, my mom said something like, you know, you're going to lose all of your friends, just like Susan, your godmother did. And I was like, is that real? Is that true? So I reached out to Susan and I was like, am I going to lose all my friends? And she was like, your mom was literally the only friend that I lost. And it's, it's just incredible to realize you get such a skewed, uh, biased, projected version of your parents' experience with queer people in their lives. Is your mother accepting now? It's a little bit more nuanced than a yes or a no. Like, could I bring a partner home and would she be only lovely and nice to them? Yes. Does she still believe that being gay is a sin and that gay marriage isn't real? Also, yes. Where she came from initially, I mean, huge leaps and bounds. But yeah, I mean, it's it's still a place that if I let myself think about it too hard, is pretty painful. But where's your mom now on this? My mom is in Boca Raton loving the fact that I am a lesbian <laughs> because it makes her family more interesting. Okay, one of those, yeah. I mean, yeah, she... I feel like now we've even had conversations where she's like, am I gay? I'm like, no. <laughs> but she like, she'll talk to me about like, like women that she finds more attractive than other women. And I think it's just one of these things where like, do I think my mom, like, I think everyone is kind of queer and they just, mm -hmm. a lot of people didn't have the tools and the like environment to facilitate that being pronounced, yeah. spoken out loud. like. My mom's not mm -hmm. going to explore her sexuality now because she's 60 years old in a committed hetero monogamous relationship. But maybe growing up in another time, she would have. Yeah, maybe. You know, I mean, the reaction she had to you like, no, 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 don't worry. Like how many times has maybe she said that to herself? <laughs> Right. Her own. <laughs> right. right. And I guess the name of this episode is my mom is a lesbian. It's true. <laughs> I um. I have written down, I'm sorry, I'm going through like so many notes I took on your, because yeah. you, the the posts on queer sex therapy, there, mm -hmm. it, it will be like one line and it will be like a brain, a brain bomb, at least for me. Of like, <laughs> it's like a mic drop. Yeah, every time. It really is with like the lingo yeah. and just, it feels like very disruptive of, of all of these like conditioned <laughs> thoughts I have. Once mean sometimes what we do. Yeah. It's like, like whoa. It's, it, fucks people up. It yeah. really does. You talked about recently scheduling intimacy versus mm. scheduling sex. 
And I yes. loved that. And I had never heard anyone put it like that. And I want you to speak to that. And I, I have some thoughts on it, but I want to hear what you're, how you would explain that. Yeah. Well, I guess I'd start by saying that when people are in a place where they're talking about scheduling sex or intimacy, it's usually because they're not satisfied with the amount of sex that they're having. That's usually where it comes from. And when a couple isn't satisfied with the amount of sex they're having, like one, you know, one sort of main reason why that happens is that the two or more people in the relationship desire sex a different amount. They have what's called a desire discrepancy, maybe one higher desire partner, one or more low desire partners. So the solution that, you know, I think is, has been the mainstream solution is, well, why don't you just schedule sex? Mm. And then, you know, for sure it will happen. But the problem with scheduling sex is that for the lower desire partner, it recreates the same pressure that sort of has caused them to withdraw or avoid sex in the first place. Right. Suddenly, not only do they now, you know, know when they're about to have sex. I mean, if somebody's Light anxious, camera action. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like the performance anxiety can skyrocket in scheduling sex and that pressure isn't always helpful. But I do find that when we even like take, take sex off the table, take orgasms off the table. And I encourage folks to just lay facing each other naked with their technology aside. Can't tell you how often people come back saying that sex happened, that sex naturally happened. What, that what do you mean with their technology aside with Instagram aside? <laughs> I mean, just phones off aside and yeah, yeah. Even my account aside, just yeah. throw it away and take, you know, 45 minutes to just make eye contact naked. And it's kind of amazing what the body does because for people with that, you know, responsive desire yeah. with like a little bit of time and a little bit less pressure, often arousal just naturally will happen responsive desire. Did you watch the goop love lab? You know, I just try so hard not to watch anything in my field because it just like, I don't know. I've talked to other people who are like this too. I think I struggle with comparison or like, I think it's going to like, you know, get me off track of the projects I'm working on. So I avoided it really. And I've heard you avoided reviews. it. Yeah. I avoided it. I didn't watch it at all. Wow. I feel like you would be all over that. I mean, should I? What's your review? I mean, it it's not... In what way would it take away from your work? Not take away from my work. Let me see if I could frame it this way. Do you ever need a break from like no. listening to other podcasts or comedians because you just don't want to like be in work brain? Yeah, of course. Of course. It's that. Right. It's that. It's like when I'm not working, do I really want to choose to watch something that is just going to make me think about work? Yes, I understand that. And... <laughs> and if if I'm I open. if I didn't if I never saw comedy really on mainstream Netflix become a hit show, then I would go, this is my thing. I'm tuning in. It's like, how often are you watching women finger each other and talk about the vulva on Netflix? It's like maybe you should check oh, it out. Is this something that happens? I should probably I mean I'm like amazed that it's like it's like queer couples getting sex therapy. And it's like a number one show on Netflix. I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch it. I'll watch it tonight. Talking about different sexual blueprints and. Oh yeah. They have Miss Jaya on there. Yeah. They had Jaya on. Yeah. On. But cool. our podcast wanted you, not Jaya. Just to be fair. 
<laughs> Thanks, y'all. Jaya has been Jaya has been begging to come on, and we were like, no, uh, we have Casey, <laughs> so you'll find Jaya on another show. Oh my gosh. Um, this was having me think about. Do you think? And I get I get messages about this, and I know. I mean, look, I think this is a real thing. Lesbian bed death. Yeah, it is a real thing. I mean, it's a real thing for everybody, not just lesbians, but yes. The idea that two lesbians in a, you know, long-term committed relationship basically like enter like this like non-sex zone where they're not having sex with each other. So you you think this is a thing for everyone? Is it more prevalent amongst lesbians? And if so, like, what are your thoughts on why that is? Yeah, you know, I got to pull the data on this, but I see couples of all different orientations and genders and the struggle to maintain a passionate sex life after a long-term relationship is not a gay thing or a lesbian thing. That is just a human thing. But I do think that when you layer on the gender components and you have two people in a relationship, you know, presumably who were socialized to believe that initiation is not okay. Masturbation is not okay. An immense amount of shame and purity culture. You know, people with vulvas are also more likely to have responsive desire versus that like spontaneous arousal. And so you get two people like that together and you may find that there's less likely to be an initiator or a pursuer Mm -hmm. in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And there's also just because again, thinking of socialization, you have two people like more socialized than in a heterosexual couple to believe that emotions are okay. You have people who are incredibly emotionally bonded, incredibly close. And we know that sometimes closeness at that level is the enemy of passion. And as Esther Perel says, like fire needs air. And a lot of times in lesbian long-term relationships, like there is less and less air and there's something really beautiful about that. There can be an amazing friendship that comes of that, but passion often falls by the wayside. Why do you think lesbians are so fucking intense? Like, so intense? Like, yeah, like, <laughs> like we're so intense. Like, I don't know if you identify yeah, as, as you. Do you identify as a lesbian? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll identify as a lesbian sometimes. Yeah, I identify as a lesbian sometimes too. And <laughs> I feel like lesbians are just like so fucking intense and like so dramatic. And like, I think about mm-hmm. the times that I've fallen in love and the times that I've, broken up with people and it and just and getting gotten broken up with whatever that looks like and how over the top dramatic and like lesbian bed death (laughs) to me we do the most always yeah Yeah. it's like lesbian bed death to me like falls perfectly in with that that Mm. wheelhouse of just intensity of like we're so close and like I can't stop touching you we're so close and I don't want to touch you and just like (laughs) <laughs> what is it about what is so it, volatile what is in the lesbian dna yeah. that like is just uh, so over the top like do you think it comes from yeah. a place of having been closeted is it is it a response to like mm. closeted being closeted or a response to feeling marginal like where is that coming from a longing yeah i mean i i think certainly those can be layers to it but i really do think if we're talking about what is unique about lesbians as compared to like other gender combinations. It's just much more often that you'll have two people with lower desire and not somebody that is as much of a pursuer. You know, this is, this is a stereotype, but there is data to support it in like a hetero couple. It is often the person with the penis that is the pursuer 
in that relationship. Right. And so, and that's, you know, that has to do with socialization. It has to do with biology. It's not to say there aren't a, a ton of lesbians that have really high desire, but thinking about, you know, just statistically speaking. Yeah. After that infatuation stage, after that, those like yummy oxytocin, you know, doses wear off, you're often left with a really, really close bond and not a lot of education around how to talk about sex. Yeah. Because, because having passion in a long-term relationship really requires talking about sex. So if you were raised to believe that's not okay, then after that infatuation stage wears off, you're kind of kind of screwed and it's not even your fault. It's on purpose, honestly, that women don't learn all of this. Yeah. I think it's really confusing. And I mean, I'm in a relationship now with a woman who never before has been with a woman and it has shined such a light on like my lack of education because she mm. comes to me with questions and I'm like, I don't know. Like I don't, I've just been making this. All I've up just been I've winging gone. this. Like I, even yeah. when I first dated, started dating women, like I didn't know like what queer sex is. And like, no one has said to me, this is what queer sex is. It's like exploring like penetrative sex versus stimulation and all of these oh, things. Yeah. Like it is. I'm still learning. I am. Did you know what totally it is? Learning. Like, will you tell like, uh, I'm, I really am still learning, but what is queer sex? I mean, it's when one or more queer people engage in whatever they define as sex. It's just like, I've given up on defining it. And I've just started drawing scribbly lines on paper and being like, this is queer sex. Right. Take it as you will. I mean, and, and, and this idea that like, and it's really like this, the patriarchal society, like not to sound like so like, but it is, it is like this idea that like there needs to be an orgasm and mm -hmm. it needs to be penetrative. And I'm sure a mm -hmm. lot of this is you've heard and you're in conversations like this no, all the time. No, it's great but to hear you just saying the things that are just the biggest game changers for people to learn that like they're way less likely to orgasm from penetration, that sex can be really enjoyable without orgasms being at the center of it. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that more people know this now. Yeah. And not only is it, is it like having an awareness of it, but I think then actually putting it into action and unlearning mm. it has been like challenging. Damn. Even, even for me, I feel myself sometimes, you know, and I've, like come a long way in my my journey and my queer journey. But like I have felt in the past like guilty over like if if there's no penetration involved or or this idea around, around like mm -hmm. I'm not having guilty if there's no penetration. Just want to make sure I understand guilty or, if there's yeah. guilty or or ashamed mm -hmm. around the idea that what I'm not having is is quote unquote real sex. And I see. And yeah. um, I like I'm like I'm I love the sex that I have and it feels aligned with who I am and my sexuality. Mm. However, that was not always the case of me feeling like fully like fully satisfied or like the sex that I was having was was in alignment with who I was. And also like I had this idea of what sex should be and should look like and should create in response in my partner and like. I think it's so confusing. Like when I have young people write to me about coming out and like figuring these things out, like where do you, where do you even start? Where do you, where as a young right. person who's figuring things out, where do you recommend them 
get an education on this and like looking into things and yeah i mean i'm i'm biased but i find that actual just like individual creators who maybe have an instagram but also a patreon where they do deeper dives or workshops like those are those are the best i've seen yeah i mean i can i can compile a list and also send it to you so you have it at the ready too but there are just so many great folks honestly a lot of them are sex workers a lot of them are folks who are like on the ground doing this work and like really speaking from experience and uh, genius, honestly. And I think, yeah, none of us were taught to seek education from sex workers, but why the hell wouldn't we? Yeah. Thank you. And do you, mm-hmm. I mean, this idea that sex is, is about achieving orgasm, do you find that to be a total myth? Yes and no. I think th- the thing I really want to empower people to believe is that if you find that orgasm isn't that important to you and you've sort of done the work of asking yourself why, making it sure it's not because you were just told it wasn't important to you, but actually realizing, you know, there are other parts of sex I enjoy more than like empowering people to claim that for themselves while simultaneously saying like, if you, if, if you do that same process and you decide orgasms are really important to you, fight for your orgasm because I think part of the reason the orgasm gap exists is because, you know, people with vulvas were just taught that our bodies are too complicated and we're not Um, paid enough. And so, yeah, right. Right. So, so not only yes, decenter orgasms, but also center your own orgasm if it matters to you. Yeah. I wonder like when people reach out to me and my friend Remy Casimir has a podcast called how come, and it's about, I was, I was just on it. (laughs) You're just on it. Yeah. yeah. It's just fun. Um, oh, you're doing the circuit about she actually has Jaya <laughs> on today. No, I'm joking. She um, <laughs> about achieving orgasm. And mm. I wonder what is a good practice that people can implement to support achieving orgasm where there where there hasn't been instead of just like, you know, a blanket suggestion like, well, mm. you know, masturbate. And I think like yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get where you're coming from. I like to think of trying to understand orgasms through a sort of like decision tree model. So if you're somebody that struggles to have an orgasm, the first question that I always ask is, do you orgasm when you masturbate? If the answer is no, then sort of the next rung on the decision tree is like, have you been to a pelvic floor physical therapist or a doctor to see if there's anything medically going on? Cause if you're not orgasming, when you're with a partner and you're not orgasming when you masturbate and you're actually masturbating, touching your clitoris, then it points to possibly some type of medical concern. But if on the other hand, you're orgasming when you masturbate, but you're not orgasming with a partner, that actually says like, there's no medical concern here. What's going on is that there's something different about the context of being alone and touching yourself than about what happens with a partner. Right. And the difference could be the way that you're touching yourself is different than how a partner is touching you. It could be that there's performance anxiety when a partner enters the room that isn't there. Mm -hmm. Maybe you, you know, maybe you're high when you masturbate and you're not high with a partner. Like what are the contextual differences? And then working to bridge the gap to make attempting orgasm with a partner as similar to the way that you've successfully orgasmed alone. And that can mean introducing a toy, having some conversations about context. So those are some sort of top line ways that I assess like where the struggle might be. Mm, I love the tree. But yeah, I mean, so, so often it's like, 
oh, you're, masturb- you're masturbating with a vibrator on your clitoris, but your partner is only penetrating you. Like, yes, we have solved the mystery. Like, right. This is why. Right. But th- that's, uh, I feel like that would be, uh, m- yeah, I guess. I guess. No, I can't. I can't tell you how many times that's actually what's happening. How is that? Like, it's like dumb. people just, why would we know how to connect those dots? Like we're taught that, you know, the penis and the vagina are like analogous or I'm sorry, or yeah, analogous to each other. So one goes into the other and orgasm should happen, but the penis is analogous to the clitoris. Right. And like, this is why so often in penetrative sex, people with vulvas are not orgasming. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned being high when you masturbate. Not you personally, not you personally, but I'll I'll speak for me personally, (laughs) getting high, like is such a game changer to me, Mm. which look, I'm not always high, not always high when I have sex, obviously, but I really like having high sex and I like, like high solo sex too. I just think being high is like, it's just so good. I completely agree. Like I find that orgasm for me is easier when I'm high. Yeah. I'm just out of, I'm just less in my head, but I've also heard people say the exact opposite. So it depends how weed impacts you. I mean, if you like weed and you want to smoke a joint, take a bath and then masturbate, you can thank me later. Um, (laughs) I um, am a great wreck. I have had a few conversations. And I thought no person better to ask than you about okay. women reaching out and talking to me about how they wonder if they're low libido or asexual. And mm-hmm. I don't know anyone who is out as ace in my life. And mm-hmm. I don't, I haven't explored it sufficiently, but I'm curious what is the conversation around that question because I would imagine a lot of women are low libido Mm -hmm. and a lot of women then wonder, does this mean that? And what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. I think that the line between, you know, low sexual desire and asexuality can be a really fine line Mm -hmm. that you, you know, in some ways, like maybe decide which one aligns more with you because a label is just that it's something that's just supposed to feel congruent. So if there's one of those labels that, that actually just feels like a better fit, Mm -hmm. then it doesn't necessarily matter so much the nitty gritty of it. But What I will say is that, you know, if you're somebody that does desire and and feels turned on and attracted sexually to other people, but it just doesn't happen, happen very often, I would be more likely to describe that as a low desire. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're somebody that actually just doesn't experience uh, sexual attraction and the reason if you do engage in sex, the reasons have less to do with attraction and more to do with a wide range of other reasons people might have sex, that their partner really values it. And it's important to them to engage with their partner that way. It's a fun activity. If those are the reasons you're engaging in sex and it's not so much about sexual attraction, then it you know may be more likely you're on the ACE spectrum. But because a lot of ACE people still do decide to have sex and even sometimes decide to masturbate, sometimes behaviorally, somebody who's low desire and ACE might look exactly the same. That And so, wait, so asexual, I, I understand asexuality in the sense that you're not coming, you're not experiencing sexual attraction ever or often in your life. Could be either. Could, could be, be either. you know, it's super rare or I never have or I used to and I don't anymore. So what Could might be, be the what might be the role of masturbation in for someone who's asexual? That- you know, I've heard a couple creators say like 
just the same way that, you know, I might go uh, bowling because it's a fun activity and something to do, even though I'm not like in super into bowling that, you know, every so often someone that's ace might be like, this just seems like an activity and it feels good. I'm not attracted to sexually to anything that's sort of causing me to want this, but like it's an orgasm is still a pleasant experience. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I've seen, I've seen ACE creators sort of talking about decoupling behavior from the orientation, the same way that we would say, you know, to a lesbian, like you don't have to have had lesbian sex to be a lesbian and vice versa. Right. Yeah. It's a lot. I, um, I saw, I'm jumping around, but I'm looking at my notes and they're not all connected, but in a sense, they're, in the <laughs> sense, okay. they're eventually all connected. But you talked about coming out more than one time, which we hit upon in the, mm-hmm. in the earlier question. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to like highlight that for those listening, because a lot of questions I get um, are about like when I came out and what coming out was like for me. And after that initial experience of of coming out and and being told not to worry, which I don't blame my mom and I'm not angry at my mom anymore um, or consciously, I then came out again when I wa- we were on a family vacation and I cried to my parents over breakfast that I mm. quote unquote might be bisexual. That felt hmm. that yeah, felt that sounds about right. That felt yeah. non threatening to me at the time. And then, like years later, I didn't. We didn't talk about it for years. Um, that I had that conversation and they were like, okay. And then a few years later, I was dating a girl. I introduced her to my family. And then I said that she's my girlfriend after they met her and liked her. And Mm -hmm. then in my next relationship, I came out as a lesbian. So, you know, that's one trajectory of like my coming out. And, And there are still people in my life that I'm not out to. Like I have not come out to my grandfather. I'll, I'll never come out to my grandfather. That doesn't have to do with like whether or not I will feel accepted by him. He like doesn't, it's just like, it's not something that like we need to engage in. Our relationship doesn't go into my, if I was straight, I wouldn't be talking to him about my sexuality. I don't really Mm -hmm. find the need to engage in sexual sexuality conversations with him. And like, if I get a new job, I will get the opportunity to come out there. And if I make new friends, I mm-hmm. get to come out to them. So this idea mm-hmm. that you come out and it's one and done, you know, it's not the full scope of things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Almost never in the history of ever has anybody come out just once. I mean, I talk about like coming out in my Ubers. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, there's just always a random opportunity, right? You're at the grocery store and I'm always and the, straight in my the, Ubers. <laughs> you are. I have a husband sort of in every based Uber. on the day. <laughs> uh, yeah, I change my career when I'm in Ubers. But really, I tend to be gay. Oh, I'm well, married yeah, to you know. Brian when I Uber, and Brian oh, works Brian. in tech. Yeah, we're so engaged. Sweet. We're engaged, and we're oh talking my God, about congrats. I literally are you talking about kids. Every Uber no? driver knows that I'm engaged to a man named Brian, and we're considering children. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that. Yeah. But yeah, no, I was just going to say like at the grocery store, someone's like, so are you guys sisters? And then you make, you are at a crossroads. Do I come out or not? Like that many crossroads for queer people, I feel like happens a lot of the time, especially if you're quote unquote straight passing. That drives me crazy. Well, it used to drive me crazy. Sometimes I can play with it and sometimes I will engage it and get like really upset. But my Mm. girlfriend is really like, feminine, femme presenting, straight passing. 
Um, she's a yoga teacher, so she's constantly being sexualized. And all of her male clients are always like, do you want like a penis in the mix? And I just like find oh, it to be, gosh. it's so annoying and it's so reductive. And I, so gross. It's so gross. And I feel like it's so gross. it really is. Right. And it's like, but you could choose to get upset about it every time, or you can just choose to be like, okay, yeah, come over. At five yeah. And, and let's be clear. It's not a penis. That's gross. No, it's, it's not, not somebody interested in non-monogamy. That's gross. It's this like assumption that there's something missing from your relationship because there are two vulvas. Right. And, you know, this is dude can't possibly comprehend how you would ever be satisfied. And what's missing is more money. Yeah. Also that Brian, get on it. Yeah. Come on, Brian. Um, <laughs> uh, queer family planning. Is that something oh my you, God. you this get is into? So I am just starting to talk about this because it's, it's become like so personal so quickly. I had my like first egg freezing assessment this past week. Wow. Um, and it was scary and they definitely, yeah, they used a lot of scare tactics on me and it worked. And I think I've been thinking about sperm donors and I've been thinking about, you know, how important is a biological child? And, you know, if I have a wife that also wants a kid, how do we, you know, handle that? And gosh, there are just so many questions that we have to deal with. Yeah. That others do not. I feel like. Right now, and I've, I talk about this at length, but my girlfriend is older than me and she's 35 and she wants to be a mom, is committed to having children in the near future. Mm -hmm. And something that we are going through right now is, honestly, I feel like we are kind of grieving this idea that like we will not have a child that is biologically both of ours. Yeah, and so real. It's really hard. I feel, yeah, I feel really sad about it, honestly. And I want to like, like I adopted like children and sperm donors and like I'm everything, like any family you're able to create is like, is beautiful. Like I truly believe that. And I'm like in gratitude yeah. to like technology that allows for queer family planning. But I would be lying if I said that I'm not like a part of me is not so sad about oh the fact God. that. I can't just like create a baby yeah, with uh, like my partner. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was just having the same conversation with the person I'm seeing like yesterday. And I think grief is a great way to put it. It's, it's helplessness on some level too. And it's, you know, I think like people who experience infertility also go through something similar where you maybe have had a dream of a child where you see both yourself and a partner in a, in the child. And that will inevitably happen because you are both raising the child, but yeah, physically, I think you have every right to grieve that. And I, I'm right there with you. Fuck. That, yeah. Fuck. That fucking kills me. And like, yeah. I, I know that yeah. like, if there's any community that's resilient, like, well, it's the Jews. We can fucking but, do it. But, but, but it's also, it's also us. <laughs> so right. And like, yeah. Oh, I just like I think about like traits showing up in like my child and like, you know, of course, like you're raising this child together. So but I want I don't know. It's just it's so complicated. And like, no, I'm so glad you're saying this out loud. I'm really am. So I think so many people feel this way and maybe don't feel allowed to cry yeah. about it. Yeah, um, it is. It's cry worthy for some of us. Yeah, it's like. What do you yeah. do? Like, 
Yeah, you do exactly. I mean, you're doing it exactly right. You just cry. Yeah. <laughs> just like let it feel as bad as it is. Yeah. I, I, I don't I have keep, an answer. I'm like, yeah. No, I know. You're you know? like, let's go kill ourselves after this. I'm so. like, same. So. I know. I keep reading we need about bringing a third ther- therapist to like help us both <laughs> therapize right us. Jaya. I, Jaya, Jaya please just finger us. <laughs> I, I keep Googling like when they're going to be able to create sperm or egg cells from like. Um, I'm ready. I know. I'm like, let's go. Can we speed up this technology? Please. I would love some sperm. I, I would kill for my own I sperm. Would, I would kill. For I would some come sperm on right everyone now. that let me. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I would love that. Are you kidding me? If I had sperm, like all I want for Christmas is my own sperm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So here's a question. Yeah. I mean, you can go here or not. If, if you had, if you had a brother or someone in your family that had sperm, would you use them as the donor? Okay. What do you think about I it? I mean, we have gone to the ends of the earth with this question. My girlfriend okay. and I, and like, we've, okay. we've been like, I mean, Look, I'm saying this out loud. We didn't actually consider this, but we joked about like how I guess we could have my dad's sperm and then the kid would be like my half brother. I'm joking. We're not doing that. But we, but we, expect- but, but it's not, an, it's like, it's understandable that that would come up as a thought. Yeah. I it think. came up as a thought. Like, what is the sperm version yeah, of me? That's understandable. My dad. Sorry, guys. But my dad is a twin, identical mm-hmm. twin. And mm-hmm. his identical twin has three boys. So those, oh my gosh, you have gone to the ends of the earth. So those boys are my half brothers. Oh, right. So, okay. I need to start calling them more, but I do, <laughs> I could probably get a <laughs> cup of their sperm. Oh my, yeah, that's really not the worst idea. Yeah. But then you have that whole thing of like, I don't want my cousin to be my baby's dad. I hate the idea that like, from like, just like my my lower self, like this is my lower self. I don't like my cousin's sperm in my girlfriend. <laughs> the worst version of you. Yeah, I don't want my cousin's sperm in my girlfriend. Yeah, I, I mean, I also think that's totally reasonable. Like, I guess maybe what I'm saying is that any thought that crosses your mind, any feeling that crosses your mind as you navigate queer family planning is probably normal. And you're definitely not the first person who's thought of it. Yeah. It's a whole journey. It's a whole thing. Yeah. I mean, this is also, this is minutia, but like, I don't want to be mama and her be mommy. Like, and I also, Ooh, what are you thinking? Well, I yourself? also, I don't, I literally like, this is like, I don't identify as mommy or daddy. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I do either. I just don't. No, I don't. I don't feel like I'm that. And I don't feel like there's language yeah. there. Yeah. Like our parenting roles are like heavily gendered and I just don't. Oh Yeah. Like, what are we going to do about that? Can you create some sort of slide and spread it around? Yeah, maybe I, maybe <laughs> my post tomorrow is a random word. That, <laughs> what is the word? I mean, word? I just, yeah, <laughs> I don't know yet. Help me. I don't, I'm trying to think because we're not the first people asking this question. There's like right. tons of non-binary parents who have found language that feels good. Right. So I think, you know, a little Google search or a little Reddit search, we could probably find a list. Yeah. I mean, I know that when you're expecting a nephew or a niece, not to gender the niece or nephew, some people use the term nibbling. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nibbling. Which is cute. I've heard that for sibling. Too. Oh, oh maybe it's sibling. Be? Maybe it's sibling. I don't remember now. It would, okay. it would make more sense if it was sibling. But there are, uh, but, but why do we need to gender neutral word for sibling was my next question. Sibling oh. is gender neutral. Oh, yeah. I think you might be right. Oh yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> um, oh, my girlfriend and I had a question for you. 
What do you think about couples who baby talk? <laughs> Aww. I think it's adorable. I mean, you both love it and you both do we it. We don't love it, it, but like it's something that like... You don't love it. We both hate it and we <laughs> slip into it. And I read a post <sighs> recently about how it's like super like toxic in a relationship. How like... In- oh God, that's so dumb. I, you can't just put a blanket statement like baby talk in a relationship is toxic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's tons of healthy relationships where people talk like babies. Yeah. I mean, age play is a thing and what's can age be really play? healthy and beautiful. What's age play? Age play is, I think a lot of people would put it in the BDSM category. It's like a form of consensual play wherein two or more people sort of take, oh, actually it could be one or more people sort of enacting uh, an age that's different from who they are as a way of like engaging with a different part of themselves, mm. engaging with the younger or older version of their sexualities. Not saying that's what you're doing, no, no. but I'm saying, you know, yeah, it's possible. Yeah. It's possible that we're on the road. We're on the well on the road to that. <laughs> you're, you're right. Um, right. But the post was talking about how I shouldn't just say the post. This is just a crappy way to share information because like anyone can post anything. But like infan- <laughs> infantilizing yourself to mm. to um to gain like to express to your partner like I want you to take care of me and like mimicking that like parental child bond is is proven to in I the disagree. long term lose you lose sort of the sexual nature of your relationship. Okay, I mean I could see like if that's the only way that you engage with each other, yeah. But if Julian, can you come here and give me a cup of water? (laughs) See, in that moment, you're not really seeking sex. You're just seeking a cup of water. So like (laughs) as long as you're not initiating sex that way. That's usually how I start sex. Yeah, you're right. You're right. If whatever works. Yeah. Um, Oh, I was cracking up (laughs) that you're you. uh, Even though I don't think this was meant to be funny, but you were like sex toys. (laughs) Who are we marketing to with the bright pink and the bright purple? I like, couldn't agree more. Color, like, they? what is that about? Yeah. Yeah. I think that like you get like a blue dildo and then it maybe reminds you of like a blue ball penis. You get like, I, those are like maybe the, the ones that are least likely to remind you of, I don't know. I still can't figure this out. Yeah. That was a real question that I'm still hoping someone will answer. I mean, me. we need to like seriously adapt sex toys. I've gone into sex stores and I'm like looking for like a harness. I'm like, do you have a kid size? Like, I feel like like. <laughs> oh, seriously, they never have the right sizes. Come on. We're they not carry always... like two of them. And I cannot like I can't take the, the smallest dick they have is like 10 feet big. I'm like, can you make like a kid's strap on? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, they, I hope they never do make a kid's strap on, but I do hope that they become more size inclusive for you. Me too. Where can, <laughs> where can people find you? And also to mention mm. that you have a practice, the expansive yes. group. Are you accepting new clients if people are looking for a queer sex therapist? Yes. They, yeah, we sure are. Great. We've got like 15 therapists now, all of whom specialize in what we've been talking about. Amazing. So, so yeah, at Queer Sex Therapy on Instagram and TikTok, and then www.theexpansivegroup.com is the therapy practice. Thank you, Dr. Casey Tanner. <laughs> Not a doctor, but I'll take Who it. Who is calling you doctor? Uh, I th- someone else in an, in an interview is calling you doctor. Oh, Ashley calls me Dr. Tanner. Whenever I didn't listen to Ashley, being... someone else I listened to. Oh God! They said she. They said know. you have a PhD. Well, they made that up. Okay, they um, made it up. Yeah, but uh, Casey Tanner, no, no doctor, sure sex therapist, okay. no doctor here. All right, not yet. <laughs> Let's really stress that. Okay, thank you for having thank me. You. I really appreciate it. 